And so you've heard the expression that one picture is worth a thousand words. But you've just heard seven statements that paint a thousand pictures. Clearly they picked me to give this Good Friday homily because I'm the most stoic of all of the pastors here. So I'm going to stick pretty close to these notes in order to communicate this to you. Experiences especially like this one of Holy Week are hard to capture, they're hard to take in. So we usually just take in all that we think we can stand. Good Friday is a sensory experience. The smells and sights and sounds of a crucifixion are hard to even imagine. For decades, I've tried to take this in, and it generally produces an emotional response, but I want more. I want not just an intellectual response from Good Friday. I want a response that will change my character, change my perspective. I want to know more. There are more than 75 verses in Scripture around the phrase, that you may know. All are in response to something God has done. And so this Lenten season, I set out to broaden my experience. Part of the limitation that all of us live with in this world is we don't know what we don't know. And so we live in a world that can usually only see part of the story. The reason a liturgical calendar was designed in the first place was so that we could take in a little bit of the story at a time. Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter. Experiences like many of you had last night at a Seder dinner, remembering a Passover meal, feasts, times of celebration. These are all built in so we can see yet another part of this amazing narrative that God has painted for us, God's redemptive work in the world. But no season matters as much as Lent, and no day matters more than Easter. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses these strong words to describe the importance of this. He writes to the church there and to the church here, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it's true, then the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. If the story ends on Good Friday, we have no reason to be together. 
But knowing how significant resurrection is, is what makes Good Friday all the more the grand pivot, the plot thickener, if you will, in the grand narrative. So we must know it. We must take it in. How? Well, we take it in through our senses, not just our intellect. We take it in through words like we just heard. We take it in through pictures. A few months ago, I heard a TED talk by a photographer named Stephen Wilkes. Wilkes is driven by a passion to create photography that tells stories. In this TED talk, he says this, photography can be described as the recording of a single moment frozen within a fraction of time. Each moment or photograph represents a tangible piece of our memories as time passes. But then he poses this question, what if you could capture more than one moment in a photograph? Some of you'd say you'd just have a video then, but he, he doesn't want to do that. He says, what if a photograph could actually collapse time, compressing the best moments of the day and night seamlessly into a single image. And so he created a concept that he calls day to night. And here's what he does. He chooses iconic locations, places he says that are part of our collective memory. And then from a fixed vantage point, and he never moves, he captures the fleeting moments of humanity and light as time passes photographing from anywhere from 15 to 30 hours and shooting over 1,500 images with each scene. He then chooses the best moments of the day and night. And so he compresses the time-space continuum into a single photograph. And I'm not gonna show you any of those today. No, I wanna show you a couple of them. Uh, so here's one, the Serengeti. And for this particular image, you see what he did, right? And the longer you stare at that image, uh, you will start to see things that are not really there. Uh, I've been looking at it a lot this week. It's an amazing thing. Again, he, he spent 30 hours photographing from a crocodile stand in the, Ser in the Serengeti, and then he brought together these pieces of each of these pictures. There's another one that I wanna show you. This is the Western Wall in Jerusalem. Look at that. Those are all people. You can go to our website, you can Google this guy, Stephen Wilkes, and there's amazing, he, there's a ton of photographs on there that he's taken. But this captured me because as I saw this TED talk, I was reminded of a much older experience of this. A painting actually that we considered getting for our foyer here is a painting that uh, was produced between 1470 in 1471 by the German painter Hans Memling. He painted a scene in much the same way. That painting is in your worship guide, the little card you were handed as you came in. He compressed the entire Holy Week into a single canvas. If you follow the diagram on the screen, you'll see how this week unfolds. Memling starts from the left and moves to the right in this painting. 
And the story unfolds down that left-hand side as Jesus drives the money changers from the temple. Judas conspires with the Jewish leaders in a dark alley. Jesus then celebrates the Last Supper in the upper room and then goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is arrested. In the central section we re-enter Jerusalem where Jesus is tried before Pilate. And in the left hand of that you see the five scenes at the back of the courtyard and we get a sense of the shuttling between trials that Jesus endured as he appears on the right hand side of Herod before being brought back to the center where he is mocked and then beaten. And finally he is led out by Pilate in the famous here is the man scene, the Eke Homo. The procession then leaves the city at the bottom of the central section where we see Jesus stumbling under the cross and being helped by Simon of Cyrene. Ahead of him there are the two thieves stripped and bound. And they're in the crowd heading up the hill to Golgotha where we see Jesus crucified and later to the right taken down from the cross. To the right of the procession that left the city we see three scenes following the crucifixion. At the top Jesus is laid in the tomb by Joseph and Nicodemus, Joseph who owned the grave. Nicodemus, the rabbi who came to him in the dark of night asking how can a man be born again, they laid him in the grave. At the bottom set against the mouth of the cave is the harrowing of hell. And in between is the resurrection as Jesus stands at the mouth of the tomb. And finally in the top right hand corner are three scenes in which Jesus demonstrates the reality of his resurrection. The meeting with Mary Magdalene, the journey to Emmaus, and the miraculous catch of fish. If you look closely you can just make out the boat on a lake and a single figure standing there on the shoreline. Perhaps then by implication the story then moves on out into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love this image. I've stared at it a lot this week because it's bustling with energy. There's a wealth of figures, activity and detail. The painting is unified by the fall of light from the right. And so the story starts in the dark on the left and moves in the direction of the light, perhaps pointing us to the rising of the sun on Easter Sunday and the dawning of not just a new day but a new era as the good news of new life goes out into all the world. The work is also unified by Jerusalem which looks oddly like a 15th century Flemish walled city as Memling captured it. But it reminds us this compression of time and space of a week into a canvas, one painting. It reminds us of the wholeness of the Easter story. Every single part of this story has a purpose. Every single part of it is given to us to take it in as much as we can. 
The crucifixion without the resurrection, as you heard from Paul, would be tragic. But it's part of a story that begins with the king entering the capital city on a humble donkey and ends with the triumph of his resurrection. It resonates with, with hope. It helps us to take in the whole scene, to know more. If you stare at it long enough, you can imagine yourself making the journey with Jesus. You can almost hear the sounds, the smells, the noise, the nails, the blood, and the grave. It's an incredible journey. It's a journey to Easter, but we aren't there yet. Again, this journey required you to make this stop today on Good Friday, at least to be able to see that this is a real event and sin has real consequences. The fall produced a real death, and justice has a clear marker. It's a cross. God so loved the world, John writes, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is to say that God so loved the world that he gave his only son even to this obscene horror. So loved the world in some ultimately indescribable way and at some ultimately immeasurable cost. He gave the world himself and out of this terrible death, John says, came eternal life, not just in the sense of resurrection of life after death, but in the sense of life so precious that even on this side of resurrection, we can stand with one foot already in eternity to participate in the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ is to live already in his kingdom. Frederick Buechner has said it this way, this is the essence of the Christian message, the heart of the good news, and it's why the cross has become the chief Christian symbol, a cross of all things, a guillotine, a gallows, but the cross at the same time as the crossroads of eternity and time, as the place where such a mighty heart was broken that the healing power of God himself could flow through it into a sick and broken world. It was for this reason that of all the possible words they could have used to describe the day of his death, the word they settled on was good. Good Friday. So from a salvation standpoint, we live on the other side of the resurrection. That's good news. But from a day-to-day -day perspective, it doesn't always feel that way. And it especially should not feel that way today on Good Friday. When we look 
at our own lives, it's hard to get past the bleakness in the world. From Aleppo to Alexandria, Darfur to Karachi. Well, you get it. It's a fallen world. In Romans 8, Paul again writes to the church and says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, for the redemption of our bodies. We have to see the whole story to get this much of the picture. But there's more help than just the picture because these pictures also have a soundtrack. You just heard it today in these statements that Jesus made. The soundtrack are these conversations from the cross. These words are needed because there is such a significant convergence of prophecy and passion, fulfillment, struggle, and redemption all going on at the same time. There was a significant drama taking place at the cross and so many conversations going on in different directions. When you imagine that scene, you know there was more than just what we heard, right? They were crucifying a lot of people that day. Jesus is still, though, the central figure, and he was the ultimate multitasker, even at his own execution. There are several different kinds of conversations happening. There was a, there was a cosmic conversation. Again, we don't know all that was said, but only what is recorded, but the profundity and the range of statements is telling. Why have you forsaken me? Could there be a more human expression? Who here has not felt that? Forgive them. Could there be a more redemptive expression? Who here has not longed to hear that? Who has had the grace to say that? There was also a shared experience conversation. Three men in close proximity, all on crosses, dying. How could they not talk to one another? It's easy to be trivial in the conversations we have with the people we live with. So how's the weather? What are you doing for vacation? When do classes start back up? But if you're with people you're dying with, those conversations would take on significant encumbrance. Save yourself and us. Could there be a more desperate expression? Who has not experienced that and said that? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Could there be a more broken confession? Who doesn't long to hope for the courage to ask for that? And who doesn't want to hear today 
you'll be with me in paradise. And then there were tender and personal conversations. Precious mother, woman, behold your son, good friend, John, take care of my mother. What intrigues me about this interaction is there's more finality to those statements to me than even the it is finished statement. Because Jesus would be back. He knew he would be back. He would be back in body and spirit. But it would never be the same. The frailty of a man who would say, I thirst, would come back from the grave to complete the living water promise made to a woman he met at a well who was his first evangelist. The lamb would come back as the lion. But on this side of resurrection, they were not ready for all of that. I'm not sure we are either. They were only ready for it to be over into your hands. Could there be a more submissive example? I commit my spirit. There it is. They are one again. It is finished. All of time has been connected to this singular moment this particular event, it is finished. But we are not finished. We're still on this side of resurrection. Barbara Johnson once wrote, we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. It will serve us well at resurrection if we've contemplated the taste of the separation of death on Friday. It's hard to end a Good Friday homily because the story's not over. The story continues. But there are two days here where there is a pause. We don't know all that took place in those two days. But for you and me, for us, we need to live those two days on this side of resurrection. There's only a couple of things that we can do as we ponder this in preparation for Easter, for resurrection, for full redemption. First of all, to remember that Friday is where we live. It's where most people live all the time. It's all that many people ever know their whole life is the Friday side of resurrection. So it would do us well to spend the next two days fully considering the conversations we have on this side of resurrection. We would do well to give the same thought to what we say while we're living as Jesus gave to what he said 
while he was dying. And so who are those people in your life that you need to have these conversations with? Maybe in your own heart, maybe it's you that you need to start with. And so we're going to take just about 30 seconds here. It'll seem longer. But just for you to take a moment, empty yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to wander around a bit in your heart, in your soul, and prepare you for the other side of resurrection. And then together we will say a prayer of benediction. Would you take 30 seconds to ponder that? Church, would you stand and pray with me this prayer of benediction? O God of infinite love and power, I'll wait for the words here. Let's pray together. O God of infinite love and power, we have gathered together on this Good Friday to reflect on the passion of the Christ. We are utterly humbled to hear his words of compassion, to ponder his words of forgiveness in the presence of his own pain. Open our hearts this day to the goodness of Good Friday and fill us with your words, with your love and powerful spirit of holiness. Remove from us all sin. As we wait for Easter, as we anticipate the resurrection, keep us aware of how we extend hope to all we encounter. Offer us anew this life in Christ that makes all things new. Amen. Our service here is ended. Go in his peace.